Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Good Friday is not a day for the squeamish, is it? John narrates the events in short order. The trial before Pilate, the decision of the crowd, Jesus carrying the cross to Golgotha, the crucifixion itself, darkness covering the earth, The Gospel of John doesn't, though, offer all the gory details because he didn't need to. John's first readers would have had absolutely no trouble imagining all that went on. The nails being driven into wrists and then feet. The hours of bleeding and hunger. The slow asphyxiation as the lungs begin to close. The sweat and the blood pouring off the condemned as the body temperature rises with every struggling breath. And the first readers would have had no trouble imagining all that went on because in in ancient Israel, crucifixion was more than just a means of death. It was a weapon of terror designed by the Romans to produce the greatest amount of lasting pain over the course of a slow and degrading death. The first readers of John's gospel, though he gives none of the gory details for them, they would have been able to imagine all of it. Also because 
written above Jesus' head. There was this inscription so that the point would not be lost on not a single person in cosmopolitan Jerusalem. It was written in Latin and Greek and in Hebrew, King of the Jews. John's readers would have known what level of mockery that was. Like the final nail is now in the spirit of Jesus and embarrassment and humiliation of a king dying a criminal's death. And then of course the soldiers take his clothes and they divide them and there's at the foot of the cross is his mother and a handful of brave disciples as a few final thirsty words conclude the drama of this story on the cross. And it's on Good Friday that the church asks us to take a good, hard look at what the early readers of John's gospel would have just already known. A good, hard look at the violence and the meanness of the world and the bloodiness of the cross and the God up on the cross. The same God that these readers in John's gospel would have known as the God of Israel. The God who spoke to Abraham and Sarah, the God who called Moses from the burning bush, the God who rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from that fiery furnace who led his people out of slavery and into the promised land and who were mere months, weeks before. release to the captives and and binding up the brokenhearted on Good Friday it's on Good Friday that the church asked us to take a really good hard look at the violence and meanness of the world and the bloodiness of the cross and the God up on the cross and the church commonly refers to this whole moment in history this whole story as the passion that was not Mel Gibson's word. The church had it first. <laughs> if you've been listening at all along on our Linton, we have a Linton devotion going on in video form and on our podcast. And one of my devotions that I stumbled upon, I talked about how I do not call myself, I can't name myself a, a kind person. I would never say that I myself am a kind person. Not that I don't aim to live out kindness or that I'm not kind to other people. I wouldn't call myself kind because I don't think those of those people who know me best, those people I surround myself with, if I were to ask them, give 10 words to describe me, would they put kind in that list of 10 words? I just don't think that would be on the list. Kindness, if a virtue I am, is a virtue I'm trying to exude, but I, I wouldn't call it a character trait of mine. But passion, 
oh, if I had a dollar. For every time someone called me passionate, it's probably the number one word to describe me. For every time someone in the church said after a service, wow, that was a really passionate sermon. You always like that? Where do you get that energy? To which Gina replies in the hallway, oh yeah, she's always at the well, kind is not a word I would use to describe myself. I would say that I have, over time, come to accept that the number one, if you were to give 10 traits, the number one character trait people would use to describe me, and I am okay to describe myself with this trait, the, the, the trait that is most evident in me is passion. Passion is the, the world people see me in which is why it's always unsettling and agitating for me that passion also happens to be the church's word for God on the cross. This word, the church's word for the, the church's word for the suffering and death of our Lord, passion. In this passion, we see the cross at the heart of God, the suffering God who in Jesus has become captive and brokenhearted, God's heart torn by the recklessness of our sin. Passion, this word usually used in the church for God's suffering and the sin and the betrayal and the abandonment of those priests, of Pilate, of the soldiers, of the bloodthirsty crowds, of Peter and Judas, of you and of me. The number one word people use to describe me is the word the church uses for the suffering of God. But what if there's another way also to talk about the passion of Good Friday? What if in this passion, we see not only the cross at the heart of God and all of that is suffered and put to death on that cross, but also the incomparable, unquenchable, always at an 11 nature of God's love. God's love, which the church is told by the earliest apostles is patient and passionate beyond measure. God's love that bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things to the very end. God's love that does not go gently into the night but goes charging towards us. What if Good Friday is God's heart not just being torn because of the recklessness of human sin but also being tugged and torn by the passion of God's grace-filled love for us. Those earliest hearers of John's gospel would have been able to imagine, would have known the meanness and the arrogance of the world and the bloodiness of the cross, but the, what they would have never imagined 
would have never understood was how Jesus on the cross refuses to give in to that meanness and that arrogance and that violence and that thirst for power that surrounds him. What they could have never imagined was that in the face of evil and despair, the passion of Jesus' loving arms remains. To the cries of blood from the crowd, he doesn't respond. From the, the clubs and the whips that beat him, he refuses to fight back. To Peter, he utters the command to lay down the sword. To the soldiers who have torn his body to shreds, he offers forgiveness. To the thief, he whispers the hope of paradise. To the grieving disciples and his broken-hearted mother, he offers a few words of comfort. On the cross, the passion of Jesus' suffering is not just met, but surpasses, is surpassed by the passion of Jesus' love. On the cross, the tenacity of God's love is greater than tenacity of human sin. On the cross, God shows the fire of God's love, a fire that, that the cold darkness of sin and death will never overcome. Just before Jesus bows his head and gives up his spirit, Jesus offers two final words that demonstrate this for us. It's in these words of Jesus, I thirst, I thirst, that we see the whole of the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus is the one for whom we thirst. He's the one who turns water into wine at a wedding in Cana, remember? He's the one who becomes the water of life for the Samaritan woman at the well. He's the one who heals the blind man by washing him in the pool of Jerusalem. He's the one who offers his very blood to quench our thirst as his disciples meet for the last supper he's the living water that will never run out we're told in john and now his dying words are i thirst throughout the whole gospel the point was always that we the disciples the crowds the politicians the outcasts we're all the first ones we are all the we're all thirsty for jesus but it's in these final words that Jesus turns the story completely around for us. In these two words, God is saying to those at the foot of the cross, to those same disciples in, in their grief and in their faithfulness, to those same soldiers executing the torture of the state, to the, to the chief priests protecting their political interests, to Pilate saving face, to you and me and to the whole cosmos, God is saying, I thirst for you. I am passionate about you. Jesus' thirst is not for the wine at the wedding, but to do the will of the one who sent him. And that will is love, and that love is for you. On the cross, Jesus is the thirsty, unquenchable, passionate, love of God for all of us. Through all of that, the sweat and the blood, and the thorns and the nails, and the mockery and the humiliation, and the, burn, the burning, the burning fire of God's love in Jesus remains. I wonder if you have seen the movie 
No country for old men. I was in a very long time. Set in the 19th, it's set in the late 1970s in the rangelands of West Texas. And it's violent and it's bloody and it's murderous. But the message is clear that there is a great meanness in the world. There is this deep evil that is so incomprehensible, so senseless, that it renders us speechless by its by its horror. You feel it through the whole movie. But at the end of the movie, an old small town sheriff, played by Tommy Lee Jones, is nearing the end of his life, and he struggles to extract some kind of value out of the senseless violence he has been through his life and throughout the generations before him and so many broken and shattered lives and the very last scene of the movie the old sheriff he has this dream about his father who is long past and he describes this dream like this he says i'm older now than my father ever was by 20 years so in a sense he's a younger man than me in this dream, I was, it was like I was back in the old times and I was, I was on horseback going through the mountains of the night, going through this pass in the mountains. And it was cold and there was snow on the ground in this dream. And my father rode past me and kept on going. He kept on going, never said anything to me, just rode past me. He just rode on past and he had this blanket wrapped around him and his dead, his head down. And, and, and when he rode past, I, I could see he was, he was carrying this fire in a horn, the way people used to do, carrying this fire in a horn. And I could see that horn from the light inside of it, a light about the color of the moon, he says. And in that dream, I knew that he was going on ahead. And he was fixing to make a fire somewhere out there in that dark and all that cold. And I knew that whenever I, I got there, he would be there waiting for me. That's the passion of God. But on Good Friday, what Jesus does is he goes ahead of us into the dark and cold of death. And there he makes a fire. It's the fire of that Easter light. He's going to go there for us. As right begins to play in the background, I want to take a few minutes for us to just sit in this moment. Not offer words of prayer right now, but with this song, allow this to be a moment and the passion of God isn't just about the suffering of Christ. 
but we come so close to knowing. That the God upon the cross says, I thirst for you. Song is meant to be a time of confession, a time of you hearing those words, knowing them, a time of you offering your prayers. There are prayer cards on your tables. I invite you to offer your prayers if you if you have them. I'll be around with the basket. And God, who is passionate about you, is waiting for you. Table of the Lord.